Welcome to Breakpoint Podcast, breaking down the world of tennis with your hosts, Val Fabo and Joel Frucci. Hello and welcome to Breakpoint Podcast. Val Febo here with you to recap a huge week of tennis. It was massive in Dallas as Wu Yi Bing became the first Chinese man in the Open era to take an ATP title. While in Cordoba, Sebastian Baez put a lot of losses behind him to take home his second career title. It was Yannick Sinner in Montpellier as well, while Belinda Bencic staved off three championship points in the final of Abu Dhabi. We've got plenty to get through. Tennis commentator Mark Pecci He's going to join us. He's going to chat about the season so far. And also, well, how can we do this without the man that joins me every week? The one, the only, Joel Frucci. Joel, how are you? Yeah, going well, thanks, mate. So you're, you're looking nice and uh, nice and sun. You've you've just been away uh, up up in Queensland. I'm, I'm pretty I'm pretty jealous because I've uh, I've just been working away. But so uh, you and uh, you and the lovely Rachel have just uh, been uh, been beachside and enjoying some uh, Rancho Relaxo. Yeah, we sure have. It's been absolutely fantastic. We went up to Port Douglas for about eight nights and or four eight nights. And yeah, just the humidity takes a while to get used to, but once you are used to it, it is it is spectacular up in Port Douglas. If you want a relaxing getaway where you can go and uh, scuba dive and snorkel the Great Barrier Reef, it is one of the it's there's no well, there's a reason why it's one of the wonders of the world or the natural wonders of the world. It is Stunning. And you know when you go past a field or you see a horse or something like that, Joel, and it generally <laughs> runs away? The fish don't. Yeah. The fish just, they're there and they're just like, oh, meh, it's a couple of humans and they just keep yeah. on, they do a dory and just keep on swimming. So, no, very cool and, um, yeah, would highly recommend um, getting up there and, yeah, nice and tanned, which was good. So, yeah, come back with a little bit of colour and, yeah, now back, uh, back to reality, I guess. But I, I will say the climate in Melbourne is much better. How's your week been? Yeah, mine's mine's been all right, mate. Just um busy at uh busy at work, but um yeah, been been keeping up with um been keeping up with the with the tours in in the background. It's uh yeah, it's it's ramping up though in the in the corporate world. But um anyway, I'm ready to talk mm-hmm. some tennis and yeah. uh, just uh, for a bit of a, a bit of a change of pace. Yeah, nice little break. I'll tell you what, Joel, one thing that I did watch and I had an abundance of time up there because we didn't really do too many activities. We just relaxed a lot. I watched Breakpoint begrudgingly because they ripped off oh, our yes. name and they ripped off, pretty much ripped off our logo. I'm not going to lie. It's it's pretty stark. And just for everyone's knowledge, we were here first. I don't care yeah. what anyone says. You can go back, check the dates. We were here first. Um, but yeah, it was very, very interesting. Some episodes I really enjoyed. Some episodes I absolutely loathed, and there's been five so far with five more to come out. Um, what did you think overall of the commencement of the show? Yeah, look, I think the, th- the first thing that kind of came to my mind after watching the first five, five episodes was that I didn't, I didn't really learn anything new, but I think that's kind of because I guess you and I are – you know, we're we're tennis fanatics. We kind of already knew that stuff. And in some respects, the show isn't really kind of aimed at people like us who already, you know, love the sport. We're already we're already hooked. Um and we're already going to enjoy tennis for, for what it is. But look, I, I think probably my biggest I think the biggest letdown for me, Val, was that it didn't really kind of set the scene. And what I mean by that is from the get-go, there was only a little bit of time really spent kind of delving into 
um, how tennis works, what it's all about. And I thought Courtney Newman did a really good job of kind of trying to set the basics for newbies for, for tennis who might be tuning in to Breakpoint. Um, but after that, there wasn't really a lot of scene setting. Um, like we, you know, if someone, if, if someone who is new to tennis was to tune in, especially if they're in Australia, the first thing they hit with is Nick Kyrgios in the Australian Open. So, I mean, a lot of those people don't really know tennis beyond the Australian Open. So they're not really learning anything new. What I really would have loved from the get-go is a bit of a, a bit of a scene setter in, in terms of, okay, yeah, there's, you know, there's Grand Slams and they're the, they're the pinnacle of the sport. But what happens below that? What about all the, all the hard yards that players have to do to get to the point where they are in the top 10 or the top 20 and they are featuring as stars in, in you know, in major documentaries. There unfortunately just, just wasn't that. Like I, mm. I would have liked to have seen, even if it was just some historical footage of, you know, like Stefano Tsitsipas or um, Daniel Medvedev. I know those guys haven't featured yet um, and D- Daniel might not, who knows, but I'm pretty sure Stefanos does at some yeah, point. Does, but yeah. Um, yeah, like even if it was just a bit of footage from, you know, those two guys, um, you know, fighting it out on one of the one of the outside courts in in Indian Wales or Miami or something. Um, you know, rather than you know, I know, I know. Smash that we, that we love. just using that example because it kind of came to my mind about two really big names now who you know started from a low base and kind of worked their way up. I would have I would have liked to have seen that that you know that that kind of humble beginnings yeah type thing. I, I don't think there was enough of that, and um, you know, unfortunately for I think for people that are watching that as being rather new to the sport or want to learn something about tennis, they're not going to get, unfortunately, the, the full picture of what it's really like. Well, and that that's where I agree. Why have they focused on players all in the in this top echelon? The players yeah. that they should be focusing on are the, are the guys down, you know, even in the 60s, 70s and below that, that like have a couple of top players like your Tsitsipas, your Berrettinis yeah. and so on. Mix. But... You need players like Michael Moe. We spoke to Mike Cation a couple of weeks ago on the show. And Michael Moe has a wonderful story to tell. But they neglected to go to a lot of these players that ply their trade on the Challenger Tour and the ITF circuit for the majority of the year. Why don't you get someone like a Ben Locke from Zimbabwe? Or why don't you get someone like a Laura Pagosi? Maybe someone that's a doubles specialist. She won, a, she won the Australian Open Mixed Doubles title this year. So... There's so many different players you can get, and you're right. The, the first episode, we're thrust in with Nick Kyrgios, where they sh- half of the episode was about Costine and how she had nothing, no knowledge of tennis prior. She didn't even know how a game worked, let alone a match. Um, so I thought there was way too much of her. I, to be honest, the first episode almost made me turn off. I hated it. It was so bad. And the difference is, and you mentioned with tennis, we didn't learn anything. With F1, and look, I'm an F1 fan. I followed it for a very long time, and Drive to Survive was very welcome for me. was a, a welcome inclusion to the sport for me. But you learn more by watching that about the sport and what ha- what's happening within a team and what's happening each season and why things may have played out the way that they did. With tennis, we haven't really dealt like dived into that yet. Because Tomjanovic, I think the Tomjanovic-Berrettini episode was probably the most raw. The Maria Sakari episode I really liked. Um, 
but there are a lot of um, there are a lot of things like Taylor Fritz. They didn't even reveal that he's got a child, and that made no sense to me. That's a pretty yeah, damn that was strange. Big oversight. He had a child and was married at nineteen years old. So I'm not sure what happened there. Maybe they wanted to leave leave that out. I, I don't know. But I found that really bizarre. And I don't care how Taylor Fritz met his girlfriend. I don't care that they met online. Why are we learning about this? I really, I could not give a toss how they met. I want to know about the tennis. I want to know what's happening. I want to know their stories more so, not how you guys met on Tinder or whatever, wherever you met. Um, and that's yeah. where I think Breakpoint and the Netflix producers have have failed a little bit. And Seems as though they're doing it again because Holger Runa um, has been followed for season two, as has Caroline Garcia. And the play is yet to feature in season one. Um, there's more on Kyrgios. There's Tsitsipas. There's Sabalenka. There's Tiafo. All these players are in the top 20 in the world. So I think that, yeah, yeah I think the stories and the battles need to be shown. And John Milman would be a perfect person. Oh, he'd be show. great. He'd be great because and, he's a and, good media talent. And yeah, you, you're right. Yeah, yeah. He's got a he's got a big future in in, in the media and speaks really well. But um, I think even something something as simple as this, Val, like dating back to the first episode with that starts at the AO. Even you know, if you're going to start with the Australian Open, even something a simple change as starting with the Australian Open, but starting with qualifying, I think would have been great. Yep, Because exactly. if you start with qualifying, that's, obviously that's where the grinders are and that's, that's, where, that's where the desperation comes in. There was a lot of talk about, you know, kind of dog-eat-dog dog and, you know, if you don't win matches, you don't get paid. Well, you know, if you're, if you're in qualifying and you lose in the first round, well, you're in a world of hurt. So, like, it would have, it would have been a great opportunity to have started with that if they were going to angle big straight away and start with the Australian Open rather than, you know, a challenger or yeah. or whatever previous to that. But anyway, bit of a missed opportunity. But then again, I think when you're looking at that, I know I, I, I get what you mean, but then again, you look at the, you look at the chronological order of a season. It does start at the Australian Open. So I understand why they started there and they had to follow the players that they'd already signed up. But yeah, I found it very interesting that there were no players and, and, and they completely ignored a few continents as well. Yeah. It would have been good to get, um, you know, to get someone like a Yi Bing Wu actually, who won a title today in, um, in, uh, in Dallas. It would have been good to get his story and his rise into the top 100. It would have been good to get someone. And I've, I've come to really enjoy watching this man play one Pablo Varias, the Peruvian, um, you know, it would have been good to get his story or, or someone along those lines, a Sebastian Baez or or whatever. But I yeah. just think that, yeah, a few a few things were ignored in the show and I hope they do touch on them eventually because they're further widening the gap between the top echelon and the bottom echelon and the, and the next levels. I won't call yeah, it the bottom possibly. echelon, yeah. but yeah, I think they're widening the gap and this is not what tennis needs right now. Tennis needs something unified. Tennis needs something that focuses on everything and tennis needs something that can showcase the battlers and that can showcase what is actually going on in the lower levels where players are literally having to fight for their lives and fight for scraps and fight for food because if they lose, they might not eat that night. So, yeah, yep. this is this is where it's, it's very interesting. So 
at the moment, it doesn't get a thumbs up or a thumbs down. It probably gets like a bit of a waving so-so hand for yeah, me. Five out of ten. Yeah, I, I think that's more than fair enough. Some episodes were good. Some episodes were bad. Um, and I think we've found that happy medium. But speaking of Yibing Wu or Wu Yibing, Joel, uh, the first Chinese man to win a title on the ATP Tour saved four match points, championship points, mind you, against John Isner. Isner was unbroken throughout the entire match, broke <laughs> the record for most aces in a three-set match. And what a final set tiebreak it was. It was 14-12 in favor of, uh, of Wu. And he wins his first title. And a year ago, Joel... He was ranked, well, going into the exact same week, 1,121 in the world, and he now sits at number 58. Impressive. Impressive. Um, yeah, and as you said, Val, what a way to do it, to um, to save that that many match points um, against John Isner in a, in a, in a uh, final, no less. Takes some doing. Takes some doing. And um, I think... Massive result for for Chinese men's tennis as well. Um, obviously, in the in the past, we've seen some real trailblazers um, in in Chinese tennis, but um, on the WTA predominantly. Obviously, we've had Li Na, Peng, Peng Shui, and a number of others. Um, so, look, I think um, the fact that now um, we've got a, a Chinese male uh, kind of pushing into the top top sixty, top fifty in the world. Um, is is great for for Chinese tennis, and um, it's it's the same really, I think, as as China in, in a number of sports. Um, you know, certainly certainly one like uh, like soccer, for example. I mean, China is just a place with endless sporting potential. Really, um, when you've got that big a population, there really should be no limit on, on what you can achieve. But unfortunately, just in those two sports. Um, in in particular, and and certainly in, in tennis, it hasn't quite happened on the on the men's side. Um, so I, I wonder if um, if if his success here, um, even though you know there's no doubt that um, there's some building on on this result to be done, um, if if it can you know inspire people there. Yeah, you're exactly right. And then you've got Wu at 58, Jijian Zhang, uh, he's at 92, and then Junqing Shang, he's at 165. He's only 18. Zhang is 26 and Wu is 23. So they've got a good nucleus of players that are coming through and that are in a really good age to keep pushing. So hopefully this is a a big thing for Chinese tennis because it is such a booming market and can really increase the following of the sport worldwide. Um, Although they do have some tournaments there, whether I'm not sure that we're going back to or not in wake of what's happening with with Peng Shui. So, um, yeah, that's still um, to be decided. But... Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a really good story. And Yibing Wu, um, Blair Henley, who we've had on the show a few times. Um, oh, did, how good was that interview? She oh. is an international treasure. And yeah. that interview with Yibing Wu about his modelling career was absolutely sensational. If you get a chance, go back and watch it. Um, yeah, absolutely brilliant. So he's a man of many talents and tennis he's seriously, seriously talented at. And then you look at Sebastian Baez winning in Cordoba. It was his uh, – he had only one, one match – out of his previous 17 before this week. That was a win wow. in Napoli against Lorenzo Sonego. And he came through and absolutely stormed through the field, which I think is so, so, so impressive. Defeated Luciano Darderi, Thomas Barrios Vera, Hugo Delian, and Federico Correa. All, look, albeit the rankings of 200, 212, 138, and 67. Doesn't matter. He needed the wins. He got the title. And 
they were they were well safe to say his team was very pleased at the end of the day today. Yeah, so they should be, and I mean you can only beat who's in front of you. Um, but yeah, look, it's it's interesting with Sebastian Baez. Um, he's almost he's almost like a kind of the second coming of Diego Schwartzman in some respects. Mm. Whether he can get to Diego's level, I'm, I'm not quite sure, but. You know, he's, there's, there's not much of him. Um, and um, we, we saw him briefly uh, at the Australian Open and, and Jason Kubler was able to to knock him off um, in, in the first round there and, and quite convincingly um, as well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, look, I think on, on clay, Sebastian Baez is in, in his element um, and that's that's where he can, he can really be dangerous. I'm not really sure he'll uh, probably come to anything and, and without sounding harsh on, um, on hard court or... Or certainly grass, but um, yeah, I mean, there's no reason why he can't have a good clay court career. Um, and yeah, great that he was able to get that get that win and get that title because um, yeah, we we don't we don't like seeing players go on on losing streaks that long. It's uh, it's it's not fun to watch, especially for someone that's so young. Like the guy is only 22 yeah. years old, was born in 2000, and, um, peaked at 31 in the world last year, and now sits back up at 36 after rising 11 places with this title. So. Yeah, I agree. I think he is someone in that Diego Schwartzman mold. Might not win as many titles as some other players on tour, but he's already won two now. He's had a significant start to his career. He's a good young player on the tour, and I think we're going to see a lot of good things from him in the future, especially on the clay, as you mentioned, and these are going to be the titles that I think he goes on to win throughout his career. And, you know, both of his first two career titles already on clay, one in Estoril last year and this year in Cordoba. So really good story for Sebastian Baez last night. Yannick Sinner also winning a title. He claimed he's already had his seventh career title, Joel. He's steamrolling <laughs> he's, through. Yeah, he's going to be something. He is with a win over Maxim Cressy. So Yannick Sinner enjoying a really positive start to the season for himself. It was a tough first week in Adelaide where he had to pull out against Sebastian Corda or didn't pull out, but he looked injured. Came through at the Australian Open, forced City Pass to five. City Pass went on to make the final, as has happened in the last three slams. The players that have beaten him in five have gone on to make the final. So there's a reason he's only just getting beaten, and he's a very, very good player with experience. Comes better results, and Yannick Sinner is going to be a superstar on tour. Yeah, absolutely. Just uh, just still needs that little bit of meat on him, I, I think. I and, agree. Um, yeah, I, I think that's, that's still just... For me, clearly the thing that, that he needs to work on because the, the game is there. Um, but if he can get that physicality um, in, in, in his game, um, then that's going to take him to, to another level. Um, just a, a couple of shout-outs here, Val, um, for a couple of guys in, in this event other than Yannick Sinner. Obviously, Maxim Cressy for, for making the final. He had a really good run. Mm. Um, took out Borna Chorich and, and Holger Runa, no less. But also uh, Arthur Fees. Yeah. Really interesting that he was able to make the semifinal as a – as a wild card, um, so and uh, he himself had a had a good run. Took down Quinton Ali, Roberto Bautista Agu. So uh, you know some good names there, and Richard Gasquet as yeah. well. So yeah, not bad. It's not a bad run at all. And Gasquet not in bad form. Won in Auckland before the Australian Open as well. So yeah, a, a very good week for the young Frenchman, eighteen years old, and the future does look bright because I saw a couple of his highlights. He's energetic, moves around the court really well, and. 
Yeah, very impressed with what he put together. And Cressy as well. We can't forget what he did because he ended up making the doubles final as well. Lost both, unfortunately. But um, yeah, yeah I, it's still a good week nonetheless. He leaves um, Montpellier with two trophies. But on the women's side of things, Joel, it was Belinda Bencic in Abu Dhabi with a 1-6-7-6-6-4 win over Ludmilla Samsonova. And three championship points saved, like in Dallas today. It was an amazing win for her. And some of those match points, I'm really not sure how she won, but an amazing week for her just to continue her little push. And she's she's not been playing bad tennis, but I feel as though when she came onto the scene, she was the next big thing. And she's been in the top 10, top five, but just hasn't really kicked on like we thought she would. I really thought she'd be a Grand Slam champion at some stage. So, look, she's still young. She's not old by any sense of the word. But, yeah, Yeah. I'm not sure where where she goes to from here. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And... It's kind of it's kind of sad that she hasn't won a slam yet, but um yeah, still still time for for Belinda, and I think she's still got got the game. Um, absolutely, it was a bit of it was a bit unlucky in the end that she uh, ran into Arena Sabalenka at the Australian Open, who um, as we know was was on fire and, mm. and rightfully um, won, won the event. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously we can't forget that she's she's got the uh, got the Olympic gold. As well, so well, yeah, exactly. That's that's something that uh, a lot of players uh, can't exactly say that uh, that they've won. Um, but yeah, look, you, you're right. Um, you know, if you look at the if you look at the the top ranked women at the moment, um, and and certainly if you cast the net back a few years, Belinda's kind of been a been a constant up there, um, injury notwithstanding. So, look, looking forward, I mean, I'm I'm really hoping that she can she can do something this year, and you know, maybe maybe it's. Roland Garros potentially, who knows? Um, I think that kind of evens out the field uh, mm. a little bit on on the on the women's side. Not I mean, against Eager, unfortunately. Other than Eager, other than Eager, but um, yeah, look, I mean, she certainly won that. Um, I, I think uh, you know, if she can't get that slam, and we're you know we're looking a long way forward here, but if she can't get that, I think it'll has to go down as a an un, almost unfulfilled career in some respects. But we won't go there just yet. Yeah, well, I think the Olympic gold definitely helps. But uh, on the yeah. other side of uh, of things, on in Europe, in Linz, it was uh, Anastasia Potapova who took down Petra Martic in the final uh, 6-3, 6-1. Martic actually took down Maria Sarkari in the semis and Potapova took down Marketa Von Drusseva. So this was a pretty strong draw as well. There are a lot of quality players in this field and Maria Sarkari, Donna Vekic, that was a quarterfinal that could have easily been a semi or a final with the way that both of those two um, have been playing so far in 2023. So yeah, really impressed by what Potapova was able to put together last week. And yeah, interesting to see where the eighth seed goes from here. She's now ranked 31 in the world, only her second career singles title. This is actually her career high ranking. So 21 years old, and and this is the thing, the youth on the WTA at the moment is quite staggering because you look, you've got Iga Sviantec at 21. She's number one in the world. Arena Sabalenka, 24 at two. Coco Goff, 18. She's three, uh, six in the world. Kasset Kina and Bencic, eight and nine. They are both 25. Alina Rubakina, 23. She is number 10. Then you've got Kudometova. 25 at 11. And then you look down, Ostapenko only 25 at 14. Samsonova, uh, she's at f- uh, 15. She's 24. And then you keep going down, Badosa only 25. Um, and she's 20 in the world, has been as high as two 
Uh, Madison Key is still only 27. Buskova only 24. She's 26th in the world. Contivate 27, still going strong. She's 27, age 27. Um, Jill Teekman, only 25. And then you look at, yeah, Potapova, 21. Um, Tomjanovic is 29, but still playing really well. Vekic and Kalanina, um, both 26, 32 and 33 in the world. Andriscu, 36 and 22 years old. And Amanda Anasimova, 21 years old, 35 in the world. Grand Slam semifinalist Leila Fernandez as well. Sloane Stevens, all of them contenders at some stage or another. All of them still so young, plus the 30 pluses that we haven't even mentioned. Yeah, not bad. It's not a bad lineup you mentioned, Owen. Well, I mean, really, I mean, if anything, it's uh, it, it really just really kind of solidifies that the the WTA is in exceptional hands, and that we've got a we've got a fantastic generation ahead of us that we're going to be able to enjoy for for a very very long time. And um, you know, it, it goes beyond the top players. Um, like we we can go down into the 30s and 40s, and we've got a, a lot of exceptional young talent. And we could even go beyond that as well into mm. the 70s and 80s. I mean, Emma Raducanu is down there at the moment and she's, yep. as we know, already a Grand Slam champion. So, look, it's it's fantastic for, for women's tennis that there's there's so many great young players and players that are still of a, of a really good age who are who are in that top bracket but, but really littered across the whole top 100. Yeah, you're right, and we're we're not we're forgetting Naomi Osaka. She's she's pregnant at the yeah. moment, but when she comes back, she'll be 26, 27. She'll have a lot of time left, so there'll be absolutely no issues there for her to get back and and play some of her best tennis. She'll be still in the peak of her career. So, um, Marta Kostyuk as well, another one. She's only 20 years old, so there are plenty of players, a plethora, if you like, of uh, of WTA stars that Good will work. be contending for slams in the near future. But Joel, it is time for our special guest. He's going to join us after the break. Mark Pecci, one of the most internationally renowned tennis commentators. He dominates whenever he's on the screen. He's one of the best in the business. So looking forward to hearing his thoughts on tennis in 2023. He's doing his best work for Tennis Channel at the moment. So can't wait to hear what he has to say about the season so far and get his predictions on some of the things that might happen later on in the year. Follow Breakpoint on social media, on Twitter and Instagram at Breakpoint Podcast. Search us on Facebook and subscribe to the show on your favourite podcast platform. You're listening to Breakpoint Podcast. Val Febo here with you. Joel Frucci has just had to duck out. But uh, look, I'm joined by one of the most esteemed members of the tennis community, one of the most recognised voices in tennis commentary. He's also a former world number 80 in singles and a Wimbledon third round appearance uh, in 1997 uh, topped off his career. Mark Pecci joins me. Mark, how are you going? And thanks for joining us. Val, thanks very much for having me on. I'm glad to see you got my intro in the inbox as well and you were able to read it out. Now, that's, uh, that's uh, the least I could do for someone as esteemed as you, mate, calling some of the most iconic matches of our generation. But, Mark, you're doing some wonderful things for the Tennis Channel at the moment. How long have the days been over this early part of February? Because this is probably the busiest month on the tour, considering how many events we've got going. We had three on the ATP just last week. Yeah, we had five events there, obviously, in Tennis Channel last week. We... Um... It, it was a pretty crazy week. There's no question about that. In Abu Dhabi, obviously, Lintz, two of the women's tournaments, yeah. and then we obviously had the three men's tournaments. Um, I actually love these weeks. I know that there's a part of me, I have to say, that, that thinks there's oversaturation on one hand. 
which there is in tennis because it's like how you know how does the casual fan understand how meaningful five events in a week are uh but for me personally who loves the sport with so many different storylines and with so many great players out there um during the course of the week across four continents and how much visibility that gives to the sport then i'm obviously a big fan of all of that and uh, it's a great time of year for me as well to keep up to date with all the players that are going on some new names that obviously have come to the fore in the last few weeks uh I don't know what we did last week, but I know this week we're we'll 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 do about eighteen to eighteen, nineteen consecutive hours of tennis on air. Well, look, the more the merrier in our books anyway. But I, I yep. do agree with you because February does provide a lot of people a great springboard to go into the rest of the year with a lot of confidence. And we'll start with Cordoba because we saw wonderful narratives from both sides of the draw. You've got Hugo Delian from Bolivia making his first ATP semifinal. Federico Correa making his uh, maiden ATP final. But then Sebastian Baez, he has struggled for all money since yeah. July. Since he won in Bastard, he'd won one out of, or made the final in Bastard, one out of 17 matches, and then he goes on and wins the title. So talk about why you love seeing these narratives and why these tournaments are so important to a lot of players who might not get the, the notoriety from the Grand Slams. Well, I think there's... There's two way. There's two things about it that I love. Um, I don't love the struggle that Sebastian went th- through mm-hmm. because obviously I struggled um, through large parts of my career, and it's pretty soul crushing. And it can be really difficult from a self esteem point of view. Uh, he's a much better player, obviously, than I am. But I do know that the depths and the darkness that you can feel in those moments when you literally can't, you know, hit the ball where you want to hit it, and and it feels like all hope is lost what you love to see is light at the end of the tunnel. And I think that that's one of the great things this sport teaches you, um, not just because of, you know, the fact that you can come out like he did in Cordoba and, and win the tournament, but in life you can pick yourself up off the canvas and it can feel like you're in this completely horrific stretch where nothing's going to go right. But if you hang in there for long enough, you know, and you do the right things and you do the right things in the right way, that there's some good things that are happening. And I think when you look at somebody like Sebastian, who struggled a little bit in the final with nerves, you could tell that. Um, there were chances for Correa in the final, but he came through it and he's won it and he's out of that patch. And I, I think there's a good chance we won't see him hit such a low point again in the rest of his career. Um, he'll be looked back at 2022 and, 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 and have learned so much from that particular moment. How important are those early learnings for you in, in your career? Especially, it's probably a good time for buyers to have a problem like that where you're stuck in a rut because he's only 20, 22 years old. I think he's very lucky to have a coach like Sebastian Gutierrez, to be honest, because he obviously recognised that there was something within their partnership that wasn't quite being able to get him out of this riptide that he was in. Um, So he's brought Javier Frana in to kind of guide him a little bit in terms of what he's doing with Sebastian. So I think it's very important to say that Javier is not necessarily coaching Sebastian, but he's trying to help Sebastian Gutierrez, his coach, um, kind of be a, become a better coach. And that's that's a really humble guy that's sitting in your corner. And if you're Sebastian Baez, you're going to be super thankful that you've got somebody that's willing to say, hey, listen, maybe I don't have the answer for you right now. Let's go and see if we can find somebody who has a wealth of experience, who's watched so much tennis like Javier Frana, and see if we can't help you. And the, the result has been instantaneous, to be honest. So, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a big part of it as well. Is in life, there's, there's a lot of it you should and can do on your own. But there's also times when you really need to lean into people and uh, and that's what they've done. Yeah, and there's a wealth of tennis knowledge in Argentina. We know and we've seen from so many different players over the years. But 
Moving on and back in Dallas, it was Wu Bing who created history as the first man from China to claim an ATP title in the Open Era. It withstood a barrage of aces. I think it was a record in a yeah. best of three set match for John Isner. But there was one short, one short, one short um, of forty-four. Jolovich and, and Haller had uh, yep. forty-five. Ah, uh, gee, they were talking about on the coverage on uh, at Gilles Muller as well. Hits uh, forty-three in a yeah. match back a few years ago. So, yeah, it was – well, it was up there anyway. But he withstood yeah. the barrage, say, four championship points. And um, and he claimed an astonishing title where a year ago he was ranked outside the top 1,000. Now he's 58 in the world. What did you make of his week? Honestly, I, I, I again, I go back to, like, these tournaments being so valuable to tennis in terms of, yeah. like, the storytelling, the tapestry that we have. Uh, here's a guy, as you say, that's been off the tour for three years uh, with a whole multitude of injuries, lower back, elbow, obviously the most serious uh, surgery there, having to remove a bone. Um, you know, so, so many things. He then came back in January of 2022, twisted his ankle immediately, uh, was out until the end of April, um, and yet has just gone from strength to strength. Um, and not only that, he, he does it in certain style as well. It's, it's one thing to win tennis matches, but another thing to win it with charisma and he is a shot-making machine out there. Um, and I think that, that that is something that that shone through. I was asking Mike Cation, actually, who did some a commentary down in Australia, does some wonderful, amazing work uh, for the USTA on the challenges and obviously a couple of the slams now. Um, and Mike knows him obviously well. And I was like, is this sustainable? Like, obviously, he's got huge confidence at the moment. I think he's gone something like 46 and 9 in the last 52 weeks um, in terms of wins-losses. Uh, is it how much is confidence? And he said, no, I think, I think this is sustainable. And, and I think that's going to be the challenge is when he does have a few knocks, when he loses a bit of confidence, is it sustainable? Can his body stay healthy? But the tennis he produced yeah. in Dallas was just awesome. Yeah, it was sensational. And, you know, he's not a junior Grand Slam champion for nothing. And the, the touts were there exactly. in 2018 as well when he pushed Nishikori to three sets in Shanghai. So he's got the runs on the board now. Fingers crossed that we can continue to see him going on with it. I will say one thing, Val, that Johnny Isner will probably be pulling those four <laughs> championship points out at Halloween oh. to kind of cheer himself up because there were two forehands and a volley that he, he'll, he'll struggle to forget. The volley in particular was the one that... Yeah. I was sitting there watching it and I groaned so loudly when he missed it because I thought that that was it. And then, yeah, and all of a sudden he saved the the match point on Wu Yibing's serve and I thought, okay, yeah. Johnny might be he, he might be in here. But now nah, credit to Wu Yibing. He got the job done. And, um, and another one who saved championship points was Belinda Bencic in Abu Dhabi. I thought that was a really solid performance from her. A tough draw, but to come over the top and win the title, I think it just gives her the confidence that she needs pushing forward. She's a former, you know, Olympic gold medalist, but just hasn't cracked through at the majors yet. And I think these small titles can build for her as she heads into the later stages of the year. Yeah, I mean, obviously got a new coach in Dimitri Tursunov at the back end of last year. Yeah. Dimitri's tried and tested and does a fantastic job with every player that he's worked with from Sabalenka, obviously, to Conteve. He's had instant success straight away. He's obviously having great success already with Bencic, a couple of titles, obviously, in Adelaide. And then, as you say, in Abu Dhabi and has only lost to Sabalenka um, in the round of 16 at the AO and Schwantek in Adelaide as well. She She's obviously, um, she's in good hands and she's going to make a run. 
whether nerves will overcome her at some stage will be interesting. Obviously, uh, Samsonova came back in that second set and then had five all love 40 on Benchich's serve. She couldn't convert, then had those championship points, of course, um, in the tiebreaker as well. It's one of those matches that, you know, Belinda gets out of and, and you can look back at the end of the year and go, well, that was the difference maker when she was at the French or at Wimbledon or the US and she gets herself across the line because she's clearly good enough to win a major. There's no question. Um, but it, it, it would also suggest that those kind of nerves and those kind of ang- that bit of anxiety still comes through. But will it be calmer because of those kind of wins in championship matches? You'd have to argue that the, the answer would be yes. Definitely, I agree. And and Mark, you've been around the tour all season, coming to Australia and then following it around. Uh, who are the players on both sides on both tours that you've noticed, apart from the obvious in Djokovic, who looks unbeatable at the moment, but who are the players that have impressed you the most that you think will make an indent in the rankings or rise back up, might, you know, might shock a few people? Who are those players so far in 2023? Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if we see Dimitrov make a little bit of a push this year. Um, I know he's at the in the autumn of his uh, career, um, but I, I feel as though he's he's still got something to give. And I think that uh, he's he's got Danny Valverdu and Jamie Delgado in his corner, and I kind of feel like that shows a lot of promise as a team. And I think that that that, that Grigor at this stage of his career knows that the time is ticking away and and. Uh, there's obviously more opportunities at the moment because of the way that Rafa is unfortunately physically and, and, and everything else. There's more holes in these draws than there have been. Medvedev's been struggling for form to some degree. Um, so a little bit of a wild card in, in that regard. I mean, I feel, I feel as though the bunch of Americans, I think Sebastian Corder yeah. um, is only going to get stronger. He was incredibly unlucky not to win in Adelaide against Novak. Um, and I think that the, the Sebi is going to is going to have a big year. But there's so many um, that I think have a great potential now. Whereas before, it, you just were going to run into a buffer of one of the big four or Stan at his best or Delpo, and it didn't matter who we picked. It, it just wasn't quite going to happen. I, I, I think the opportunities are there now, and I think the players will know that they're that they're there as, as well. Hashinov will be dangerous for the rest of the season. Yeah, I agree. I think I watched him in a lot of matches at the Australian Open. I thought the way that he fought his way out of the third set against Tsitsipas in the quarterfinal was super impressive. And even against Francis Tiafo, saved five set points en route to winning that in four yeah. in the fourth set tiebreak. So I think he's looking pretty good. And then you've got the return of Carlos Alcaraz this week in Buenos Aires. Yeah. What do you expect from him? I just think he'll come back fit. I mean, it was crazy scenes. I've got to say, you know, there's not too many times when I think tennis players are rock stars. Um, Car- Carlitos has, has definitely got that. I mean, Buenos Aires, they were looking underneath the, the backstop netting, just trying sure. to get a glimpse of him. And I was like, okay, well, you know, that's, I know it's a tennis tournament. People come to tennis to look at tennis players, but, you know, they'd be rare that people would be, could be bothered to actually lie down on their stomachs and actually try and get a glimpse of somebody. So, He's got that rare X factor that I think is obviously going to pull the tour along in the wake of obviously some great exits that we've had and we're going to have at some stage over the next sort of year or, or, or less. So I think that that's, that's exciting from my point of view. Look, I, I don't know whether he's going to have a great week in Buenos Aires. All I know is he's going to come back fit and healthy and the tour is the tour's better for it. The conditions having done a match down there with Fanini today, um, look pretty quick. They're, they're obviously playing with the Wilson ball there. I, I think they should suit his style of play. 
Certainly, and yeah, the way he plays, this was where he made more a name for himself, really, in uh, in last yeah. year's uh, South American clay court swing when he won Rio and won it quite convincingly as well. But Mark, one final one before we let you go. Now, you've called an abundance of matches over your career. If you had to single out one as the best or most notable, what would that be? <laughs> it's a tricky it's a tricky question um i always feel like yeah i almost feel like i have to asterisk asterisk at times i would have to say that rafa against daniel last year yeah the ao was was without question for me the most exciting final that i've ever called um or ever been sort of watched i know that people will say rafa and roger and all of that at wimbledon uh, obviously, on a personal level, having had the association early on in his career with Andy, Andy winning the US Open in 2012 against Novak was unquestionably the greatest moment for me to be able to see him win a Grand Slam title after everything that he'd been through, the losses that he'd had in finals prior to that, and then having to do it in five sets against Novak. That, was, that, that will always stick in my mind as the greatest that I've ever done especially the fact that Novak came from two sets down and forced it to five. I think that was the most, or well, the drama part of it there. And, you know, the questions were, could Andy hold on? And he certainly did. And um, it's just a shame that Andy has had so many injuries because if that 2016 Murray stuck around, who yeah. knows how many slams he would have and how many the other three would have. Yeah, and I think people need sometimes forget just the fact that he was year-end number one and, and that he was number one going into the next season in 2017. And then obviously the hip problem, started and obviously you know really really struggled from there on and um yeah what what if maybe are all part of a sports person's career to be honest and and unfortunately for him it was a hugely significant one that he's battling incredibly impressively against but um you know and he will continue to do so and um but you know he he's he's still done everything within this game that was you know was was asked of him certainly has in the Australian Open, I think is a testament to that and what he produced against Thanasi Kokonakis in particular. Mark, thank you very much for joining us on Breakpoint. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting tennis with you and we hope to do it again soon. You're absolutely dominating our screens, so it's great to see you or great to hear you on our podcast. Uh, listen, thanks for having me on and I'll come back on any time at all, any time. Follow Breakpoint on social media, on Twitter and Instagram at Breakpoint Podcast. Search us on Facebook and subscribe to the show on your favourite podcast platform. This is Breakpoint Podcast. Val Febo and Joel Fridgey here talking all things tennis and a big thank you to Mark Petchy for joining us in the last segment and having a chat about the 2023 season. It's been awesome. It was awesome to get his thoughts on on what's happened so far. He's been here in Australia and now he's doing some wonderful things for the Tennis Channel over in the US at the present. But Joel, it's a big week because it's the return of Carlos Alcaraz for the first time since the Paris Masters. Alcaraz. Uh, And you couldn't have said it better yourself. And I'm so (laughs) excited to see him back. He's on his bread and butter surface, surface of clay. It's where his run in 2022 started, not in Buenos Aires in particular. That was in Rio, but it was in this South American clay court swing that he began to just turn a few more heads towards him as one of the players to beat and and possibly launching the predictions of him to be in the top 10 at the end of 2022. Nobody could have predicted that he'd finish it at number one and win the US Open, but he did so. And I'm excited to see what he can produce in the Argentinian capital this week. 
Yeah, me too. And uh, clearly, Val, there's quite a few people that are excited to see him because um, there was a there was a video doing the rounds on uh, on Reddit that I that I saw of uh, of the grounds at Buenos Aires and the court that Carlos was was training on. There were there were people uh, everywhere in all all sorts of vantage points um, jostling to, to get a look at him. And I think the funniest one was um, there were people literally on the ground, like lying stomach down on the ground, looking underneath um, what looked to be covers on the side of the court to, to see Carlos under those covers. It was just, it was just unreal. That's um, awesome. So, and, and this is the fanfare oh. that he's going to have to deal with now. And, and look, I'm yeah. jealous of all of these Argentinians because we, we got robbed of this opportunity to see him this year as the world number one. And I'm still so angry at his leg for giving out. I'm so angry because he was the player that I was looking forward to watching the most because I didn't get to see him live last year. And, geez, it, the, I just love the way he plays. So really excited to see what he can do in Buenos Aires. Not sure if he'll win. The match practice certainly wouldn't be there, but it's a good field and Dominic team will be there. Cam Norrie as well. Bizarrely, I thought he'd be playing in the European Strange. in the European. Um, tournaments but yeah in in Rotterdam this week there's a 500 there with some massive names and I thought he'd be front and center on the hard court a surface that he does or tends to do quite well on but he's opted to go for the clay he's been holidaying in Costa Rica so I guess we'll see what happens with uh with Cam Norrie but yeah Buenos Aires I think there's a big spotlight on what's going to happen there in the Argentinian capital this week and I can't wait to see Carlitos go about his business but Joel have you seen now there's a WTA 500 in Doha this week. The draw is completely and utterly stacked, but the qualifying draw is better than what most two fifties get because you've got the likes <laughs> yeah. of Karolina Pliskova, uh, Diana Yastremska, Leila Fernandez, Laura Siegerman, Maria Buzkova. Um, who else have we got? Bethany Matic Sands, Alexandra Sasnovich, Jill Tiegman, Diane Parry, who had a really good French Open last year. Elise Mertens, Grand Slam semi-finalist. Um, keep going down. Madison Bringle, Bernarda Perra, Anna Kalinskaya. There are some ridiculously talented players in this qualifying draw. And the final round, so to qualify for this tournament in Doha, sees Grand Slam finalists Karolina Pliskova and Leila Fernandez go head-to-head. <laughs> How is this fair? You've got to go through matches probably might the might be tougher than the main draw just to get into the main draw. It's insane. Yeah, it's crazy. Well, um, look, so, I mean, simply put, that is that is the best qualifying draw I think I've ever seen. Me too. <laughs> that is crazy good. Yeah, I don't think like, you can how? beat this draw. Like uh, even winning this title, you'd be pretty you'd be pretty proud if if you had to go another two matches. So that's that's absolutely bonkers that that is a qualifying draw. But um, yeah, it, it means that the tournament is going to be stacked and it means that it's going to be very close to see who does win. So looking forward to that one as well. But it is time, Joel, for our Benoit of the Week and it's our favourite segment. It's pretty much the only real segment that we have uh, set in stone anyway, <laughs> so it has to be the favourite. But um, who who should we award it to this week, do you think? Are there any standouts? Oh, geez, I think... um. We had a bit of a bit of a chat off air. I think we were we were going to do a, a positive Benoit this week, and uh, we are. I think we were gonna we were gonna give it to one of our favourite people. We certainly are, and the international treasure herself, Blair Henley, 
deserves our Benoit of the week. It is a positive Benoit because her on-court interviews rival that of Jim Courier. They are that good. So yeah. if if you haven't heard them, do yourself a favor. Go back and watch her uh, her interviews in Dallas this week. She does such good work with the on-court announcing, with just meet with color, and with the interview. She's so well researched and she speaks so goddamn well. So yeah, Blair Henley, she deserves our Benoit of the week this week, and that just about wraps us up. I reckon, Joel. I think it does. Yep, certainly. Thank you very much for your efforts, mate. It's been a pleasure as per usual. We won't be on next week, but uh, we'll be back just in time for Indian Wells with um, with uh, with some big tournaments to come in March. Indian Wells and Miami, both back-to-back. The Sunshine Double, one of the best times of the year when it comes to tennis. March, always action-packed. So looking forward to seeing you then, Joel. Yep, sounds good, mate. We'll, we'll rest up and uh, we'll, we'll come back and get into the Sunshine Double. Very, very excited indeed. Thanks again, Joel. And also a big thank you to Mark Pecci for joining us on the show. It was a pleasure to have one of the most esteemed members of the tennis media community on the show with us to talk about all things tennis. And, uh, well, remember, you can subscribe to the show on Google, on Apple, on Spotify, all of their podcasts. And wherever you get your podcasts from, remember, we are on there. And follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We've got all of those. Breakpoint Pod, you know the drill, everyone. Have a great week and we'll catch you very soon.